Good morning, everyone. How are you? I hope you're fine. I really do. I love you all so much. We are really in a wonderful place in the Word of God. I can't even begin to tell you all that God seems to be doing, at least through my life in this particular place in Scripture. This has been an amazing journey for me to fit through and to see what God is doing in the book of Ephesians in my life. To understand who He is and to understand who He is in each of our lives. But let me just take it to me because it has to be each of us individually. But what He means to me and who He is and the grace of our God is monumental. And Paul is trying with all of his heart, I believe, to allow you and me to see the wonders of our God. And the reason I think that it is so important for him to to allow you and me to see these wonders of our God is because, like anything else, there is a, a responsibility that comes with with our faith. And that's the point that, that Paul is getting to now. If you turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. The first three chapters that we have looked at in the book of Ephesians... Paul has set forth for you and me our position as believers in Jesus Christ. He has shown us the blessings that we have received, the honors that we have, the privileges that come along with being a child of God. But now in the following three chapters, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is going to give out the obligations and the requirements that come along with being a child of God. We've come to the place that Paul now has begging us. If you remember in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, I entreat you. That word entreat is a a word of, of begging. It's a word of pleading. The reason it's it's said that way is because none of us are forced to be the person of God that God has called us to be. It's Christianity is all a, a, a number of choices that we make. We choose to walk with the Lord. We, we choose to follow Him. We, we choose to be the person that God has called us to be. We, we choose to walk righteously before our Lord. We choose to be holy and blameless. It's choices. Choices after choices after choices. We make these choices. And so he says, I want to plead with you. I want to entreat you. Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling by which you have been called. And as we saw last week, we we began the journey of looking at some of the characteristics of, of what does this godly walk look like. Well, Paul mentions five points. Two of them we've looked at last week. In verses 2 and 3, he mentions there's humility, there's gentleness, there's patience, there's forbearing love, and then there is unity that is all found in the bond of peace within the family of God. Last week we looked at humility and, and, and gentleness, and today we're going to look at patience, forbearing love, and unity all found in the bond of peace. 
you're going to find that that today's message combined with last week's message is the very essence of what a church ought to be like. If you and I, by the grace of God, can can choose to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, and we follow after the example that Paul has given us here in the fourth chapter, the first six verses of the book of Ephesians, if we choose to walk in this manner, there is absolutely nothing that we will not be able to accomplish as a group of believers for the cause of Christ that God has in store for us. There will be nothing that will be held back from us. God will accomplish through us what He so desires. If we gather together as a group of believers bonded in peace and love, Let's review, though. Humility. That occurs in a life when we allow Jesus Christ, well, when we become like John the Baptist. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, John simply said, He must increase and I must what? That's, that's the simplistic way of looking at humility. Allowing Jesus Christ to increase in our lives And for you and me individually that we decrease and and allowed Him to be seen in and through our lives. The second characteristic we looked at was gentleness. It means basically power under control. The the Greek word for the word gentle is P-R-A-O-T-E-S. It's used normally to describe the taming of a wild animal. It's most generally used in describing a stallion, a horse, that has been broken and trained so as to be able to be ridden. But still, this horse, this stallion, has all of its power, all of its spirit, but all under the control of the one who rides it. So, we are to be with our Lord. Full of this power that we have from God Almighty, but under the control of our Master. Now we come to the remaining three traits, but tied into that, Paul reminds us what the true church looks like. And if there is ever a doubt in anyone's mind, what does it, what does it mean to, to go to church? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is it? Paul just nails it. This is the holiest of grounds, in my opinion, but who am I to say such a thing? I, I find that that changes sometimes from week to week when I read through and study the Word of God. But this place in Scripture literally put me on the ground. The thought that I know more importantly, that my God knows me and that I'm a child of His is almost too much. Paul writes, under the inspiration of God, I therefore, 
the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. My Father, our Father who art in heaven, truly hallowed would be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you, Father, give us this day our daily bread? And forgive us our trespasses, Father, as we forgive those who might have trespassed against us. And Father, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us, dear Lord, from evil. Because, Father... You are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We entrust everything that we are to you, Father, because there is no one else that we can turn to. By your words through Paul, there is but one body. There is but one spirit and one hope. There is but one Lord and one faith and one baptism. There is one God and Father of everyone. You are over all. You are through all. You are in all. Would you please, dear Father, privilege us that we might behold wonderful things that is written within your word that we might be touched by your spirit, that we would sense that you are speaking to each and every single one of us, Father, that your heart would be mixed with ours for a moment in time, that we would sense the very essence of who you are. Would you move me aside, I beg of you, Father. Allow me to be moved by your words, moved by your spirit, but Father, may I not be the center point of this message. May we see the very one who has established the church. May we see the very one who is desiring to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so I beg of you, Father, may we walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which we have been called. I pray. Oh God, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. This place in Scripture has moved my heart deeply. It is a place that, uh, if explained properly and if caught, if caught, if we receive, we'll never be the same, ever, never be the same. We cannot.
its choices, though, all of its choices. Three remaining character traits. The first one is patience, verse 2. Patience is probably the, the one virtue that most pleases our Father. Patience. Let me tell you why. <clears throat> it is through patience that you and I can show our Father our trust our trust in His timing in our lives, our trust in His way of leading us. Patience is the product of humility and gentleness. The Greek word for patience is a long word. It's M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. It means long-suffering. That's a tough attribute to bear. Because patience is the picture of a person who endures through difficult circumstances without giving in. I make it a conscious effort in my life not to pray for patience. I have. I hear people coming to me and saying, Would you please pray? I I need patience, and I think, oh, if they only know what they are really asking for. They're asking for more trials so that they can show the Lord how they will endure through a trial. A mother has a child that's crying and crying and crying and says, oh, give me patience. And the child keeps crying, and they wonder what's going on. Well, God's giving them what they are asking for so that their patience can be perfected while the child cries. True patience is enduring through difficulty. I guess the best example we can see in the New Testament, as well as the Old, is Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was promised a child... Do you know how old Abraham was when he finally had Isaac? About a hundred. Sarah, his wife, was in her 90s. In, was that a, was that a cough from your cold or oh my God? <laughs> how are you feeling? Barbara, how are you feeling? I love you so much, you and your husband. This dear lady and her husband puts a feed on in our church on Saturday night that you don't need to come for the service just come to eat no she says no but it's it's spectacular it is if I could I'd open a restaurant with just us Abraham and Sarah in Romans chapter 4 in verse 20 listen to what Paul says of Abraham. It says, with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong, he grew strong in his faith 
giving glory to God. That's, that's, that is one of the great verses of Scripture. Abraham, while waiting for a promised child, 100 years old, did not waver in his unbelief. God said it, it's going to happen. But he so, so I should say, rather than but. So he grew strong in his faith. And I love this. During this process of waiting with patience for this child, he continued to give glory to God in his waiting. His patient waiting You see, the patient Christian is the Christian who accepts God's plan for their lives without questioning or without grumbling. I've said this before. It's one of the only examples I really know. Since I've been in ministry, one of my better attributes is I'm not a visionary. By that, by being better... I am surrounded with people who are visionaries. I love the fact that God will supply what we lack. But in my living my life in ministry, I never once desired anything except doing what I was called to do that particular day. I just That's just the way I am. I don't know. That's just kind of the way I made. I call myself a plow horse in this ministry. I I have my head down and I just one step after the other. And I have people sometimes, young men, that come to me and say, how how did you become a pastor of a church? And I must admit, I'm not certain I know how. I don't know how that happened. I can only say the obvious. God did it. But in that process, first 13 years of my ministry with the athletes, I never desired to be a pastor of a church. Oh, I'd sit in church like maybe most of you do and say, Whoa, if I was up there, I wouldn't have done that. Or I would have done it this way or that way. I understand that. I did that my own self when I was listening to the pastor where I was going to church. I, I understand but never once did I desire that place. And, and sometimes when people come to me and they say, oh, you know, young guys, they want to be in the ministry and I think it's going to be so hard on them because God might have them patiently wait. And I say to them, would you be willing to wait 13 years? So long I waited, but I didn't know what I was waiting for. It wasn't, wasn't like a big deal to me. Patiently waiting upon God's timing in the process of our lives, giving Him the glory for whatever it is that we are going through. You know, Job, God bless him. Job's patient words before God in the midst of his tremendous trial. Job said in Job thirteen fifteen, Though He would slay me, yet still I will hope in Him. Is that not the greatest of words? Yet he slay me, I hope in him. Patience. The next characteristic in verse 2 is forbearing love. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, we are told, Peter says, Above all, 
Above all, he writes, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because, he says, love covers... Do you know what love covers? Pardon me? A multitude of sins. Above all, Peter writes, keep fervent in your love for one another because love is going to cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says practically the same thing. Hatred will stir up strife, but love will cover all transgressions. You see, forbearing love within the body of Christ is that love that is called agape love. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a, it's a love that is unconditional. It's a love that doesn't ask, what is there in it for me? But rather, it is a love that asks, what can I do for you? Not expecting anything in return. The Bible speaks of three types of love, don't you know? You know, in our language, we have one word for love. Love. I love my wife and I love ketchup. It doesn't seem to be the same, does it? Well, the Bible is more descriptive of its words. In the Greek, there is a word for love that is eros. Basically, it's a self-love. It's a, it's a love that is given to other people only because you're going to get love back in return. If you don't get it, you don't give it. The second kind of love is phileo love. It's, it's a love that is given only if you experience love from another person first. Then you'll love them back. The third love, that's the love that Jesus Christ displays. It's agape love. It's a love that is unqualified. It's, it's unselfish. It's a love that will willing, willing, willingly give, asking for nothing in return. Look, look with me, please. You're at Ephesians. Turn to the left to Romans. It's just back. You'll go past Galatians and then 2nd and 1st Corinthians and then you'll find Romans. Look at Romans chapter 5. I really do want you to see these few verses. Because this love that Jesus Christ demonstrates is the love that He pours out upon yours and my lives. Our lives. Paul speaks of it. Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 6. He says, for while we were helpless, still helpless, at the very right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. That's us, the ungodly. When we were helpless, it says in verse 6, at the very right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But, verse 8, God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ 
died for us. There was nothing that we could give back to Him in return. Nothing. He just unconditionally loved us while we were sinners. Verse 9 says much more than having now been justified by His blood will be saved from the wrath of God through Him. That's some verse. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, will be saved by His life. Not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, the payment for our sins. That's love. Jesus spoke of this love for one another when He spoke to His disciples in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, I want you to have a new commandment. This new commandment I'm going to give to you, He says, is this. I want you to love one another. If they would have asked Him how, He says, even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Because he says in verse 35, by this, by the way you love one another, all people are going to know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Agape love, folks, is the standard of a true Bible-believing church. This kind of love, this love for one another that doesn't look out for what can I get back in return, but to whom can I love is the staple of a true Bible-believing church. Finally, after Paul speaks of humility and gentleness and patience and love, He says in verse 3 that we are to be diligent. Diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word diligent could be translated meticulous or thorough or careful. He is saying be diligent, um, be meticulous, be, be careful, be thorough to preserve the unity of the Spirit. We are to preserve the the unity of this this peace. It, It ought to be a constant concern to all of us within the church, the family of God. And because Paul is speaking in verse 3 of the Spirit, he is speaking solely to us believers in Jesus Christ within the framework of the church. This unity and this peace found in those who are humble, gentle, patient, loving. Why the church? Listen, because you and I would not be able to, we would not be able to manufacture this kind of unity this kind of bond of peace with one another, 
It must come from the Spirit of God. Look at the prayer. Not the prayer that Paul prayed in in chapter 3. Look up at chapter 3, but just a moment. Look at verse 16. Paul prayed in verse 16 that, that we would be granted by God according to the riches of His glory that we would be, verse 16 of chapter 3, strengthened with power through His Spirit in our innermost being. We talked about that at length. We were talking about how this, all of this is going to come about in your life and my life through the power of the Spirit that lives within us. It is something that, that bubbles up within us. And, 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 and so Jesus Christ, oh please turn with me to John chapter 17. Hold your place here. John is again to the left of Romans. You'll go past Acts and then you'll find John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, oh my goodness, maybe this is why it so affected me this week. We read about the prayer that Jesus Christ made for His disciples, but not just His disciples at that time, but also for you and for me. Watch. Let's join this prayer in the middle. In verse 11, Jesus is praying to God the Father, and He says in verse 11 of John chapter 17, And I am no more in the world, and yet they, they themselves are in the world I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Verse 12, While I was with them, I I was keeping them in your name which you gave me. I guarded them, he said. Not one of them perished, just the son of perdition that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Verse 13, but now Jesus says, I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Folks, if we live this life that God is asking us to live, we will not be popular in this world. You've got to come to that understanding. If that's what you want, then you're going to have a bumpy road as a believer. Remember we spoke last week? It said that the the people that, that came to Christ but kept it quiet, they wanted to please men rather than God. We can't do that. It'll be a bumpy road. Choose for yourself whom you'll serve. And so he says, verse 15, I I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but I do ask you to keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world, so sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves 
also may be sanctified in truth. I, I don't ask in behalf of these alone. He's going to now pray for you and me. Folks, He's praying for us. I don't ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see why it's so important for us to live this life? We live this life to display to the world the very essence and the truth of Christ. What a responsibility. God bless you. What a responsibility. Look at verse 22. And the glory, the glory which you have given me, I give to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in this unity that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you loved me. Father, verse 24, I desire that they also, whom you you have given me, be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. And folks, our God has told us that He has loved us before the foundations of this world too. Can we not believe that? Our responsibility as a body of believers, the church, is to maintain unity and peace at all cost. How? Humility, gentleness, patience, love. And so therefore Paul tells us how to live out that type of an attitude in our lives. He says, therefore, he says, I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to beg with you. Walk. Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling with which you have been called. In other words, in the innermost being of who you are. You know, it's interesting. The world and our society has always made an attempt to seek peace and unity. <laughs> Do you? I find some joy in watching our administration going to and fro trying to bring peace to this world. And yet every attempt, every attempt has failed. All the laws, all the agreements, all the treaties, all the alliances that have ever been made have all fallen short. It is said that throughout Time itself, every treaty that has ever been made at one time or another has been broken. Why? Because it comes from out here. It comes from what can we do for you that would make you love us. That will never work. That type of love never works. Therefore, within the the church... Our responsibility is to be diligent 
to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace and unity. It's the most powerful testimony that you and I can display as a body of believers to the world for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what Paul says in, in Romans twelve eighteen? He says, if it's possible, Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, listen now, if possible, he says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. You see, as far as it is up to us, it is our responsibility to maintain peace. Now, I grant you this. Sometimes you just can't. I know this fact. I've walked that road. I tried. I know what it's like to to try to find peace in a very unpeaceful situation. I have fallen on my face before some men who claim to be leaders of a church and asked for peace. And it was nowhere to be found. But as far as it depends upon us, we ought not ever to be the one that causes the rift. Unity and peace. These four attributes, humility, Patience, gentleness, love are a sign of a true church. Where there is, now watch, now watch. It gets so deep. Paul writes in verses 4, 5, and 6, seven ones, seven ones. The sign of a true church. There is, he says in verse 4, one body. He says in verse 4, there is one spirit. He also says in verse 4, we have been called in one hope. It says in verse 5, there is but one Lord, there is but one faith. And he says there is but one baptism. And in verse 6 we are told there is but one God and Father of all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. These seven ones are not different at all. They are all the same ones. There's no denomination within the family of God. There's no ethic or racial body of believers, black or white, brown or I don't know. There is no difference. There's no Gentile. There are no Jewish faith. There's no male or female. There is neither free nor slave. We are all one in this one body that is gathered together called the church. There are only people, now hear this, there is only one Jesus Christ in His body, the church. And He is telling us that we, as a body of believers, are to be unified within this church to be at peace with one another. Because there is only one hope, there is only one calling that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, since there is but one Lord, one baptism, there can be but one faith. Paul is speaking in in regards to the very truth, the very essence of the truth of God. We come His way to His faith, the only faith. There is salvation only on one road, one path, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. There are not many paths to heaven as some like to claim. 
I've been through that. I realize it's a wonderfully nice thought to say all you have to be is a good person, a good Jew, a good Mormon, a good Jehovah's Witness, a good humanitarian, a good Buddhist, a good Mohammed, a good New Age person, whatever. Give it whatever label you want. And they'll say you'll be fine because God will see your goodness. And certainly God won't judge you, will He? Just because you don't come His way? Oh yes, He will. Oh yes, He will. For He says there is but one Lord, verse 5. There is but one faith, verse 5. There is but one baptism, verse 5. When Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, when He spoke to His disciples and He says, I want you to know that all authority has been given to Me, Jesus said. Where? In heaven and on earth. That takes about every place. So He says, therefore go. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you even to the end of this age. Verse 6 tells us there is but one God and Father of all. The basic doctrine of Judaism has always been Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is how many? The Lord is one. One God's oneness is the very foundation of Christianity. The very foundation of our faith. The Lord God is one in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, go, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He is saying, we're all God. Look, at there's so many places I can show you. God the Father, John 6.27 says this, we are told, don't work for the food which will perish. Work for the food which will endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. And then in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas was in the upper room and they said to Thomas, look, we've seen the Lord. He has been here. And Thomas said, oh, I'm not going to believe until I can place my hands in his wounds. I'm just not going to believe. And so Jesus Christ appears before Thomas in that upper room. And he says, Thomas, come here. Come here. Put your hands in my wrist. Put your hands in my side and in my feet. See my wounds. And Thomas falls on his face before Jesus Christ. And he says to him, my Lord and my God. And Ananias and Sapphira, I think the name was. Peter said to Ananias when he had lied to them about selling some property, and Peter didn't want his money. The Lord didn't want his money. What Peter wanted was just the truth. And Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then he said in verse 4, you, You've not lied to man. You have lied to God, the Holy Spirit. And the God that you and I worship, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is verse 6, Ephesians 4, Over all, 
through all and in all. In other words, He's God. Displaying His sovereignty, His omnipotence, and His omnipresence. Christian, you and I, we're one people. We are one people under one God. We are one people under one God who are called to walk one way. And that is in humility and gentleness and patience in love and bringing peace and unity to the body of Christ. And how? So we might, well, that we might walk in a manner worthy of how we've been called. Why? Why is this so important to us? Jesus Christ made it very clear in His prayer. We are to walk in this manner. We are to keep unity and peace within the body of Christ so as to show to the world God's wisdom in through us, the church. To show to the world what it looks like for people of like-mindedness, of all races, of all creeds, all types of different nationalities to walk together in harmony, to show the world what it claims that it longs for, and that is unity and peace within their lives. Perhaps the most important message that you and I can ever try to grasp, probably the very most important message that you and I as a church, the Rock Community Church, can ever try to hold on to. It's a choice. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Be loving. Allow the the bond and the peace and the unity of God to flow through this place. I beg of you. I beg of me. Let's love one another without asking what we can get in return. Let's make this place everything that God would want it to be. It's a choice that we have. I think we can do it. Here, here's my problem in this message. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I don't know that I've ever been amongst a, a group of people more loving, more caring than you folks. I haven't. I don't hear of problems. I know there must be some. They keep it from me, I think. They let me go back and study and keep me in that little bubble. But every time I'm here, I sense nothing but peace and, and love. And I love you very much. And I don't care if you ever love me back in return. That's the honest truth. I just want to love you. I know that. I just know it. But that's not the issue. Let's love one another here at this place. Let there be people that see the love of Christ through this place. I long for that. Father in heaven, I thank you for this church. It It is a magnificent group of believers. You've called us from different places. And yet, Father, we gather together to learn as much as we can about you. It's a unique place. Thank you, Father, for it. 
Bless us, Father, please. Bless us, Father, please. And Father, may we be a blessing to you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all with all of my heart. I'll see you next week, I hope. Have a great, great day. Thank